0: All right, so today, let's start on functions. In particular, I can talk about um, value returning functions. There are different kinds of functions in C++. There's two in particular. There's value returning, and there's also something called non-value returning, or so-called void functions. If you're familiar with other languages uh, that use different terminologies, you may have heard the word procedure. Procedure. And in C++, there is no word procedure. In fact, they're just called void functions. Um, I know everyone has their personal taste, I guess. So, so today we're about we'll talk about the former, which are value-returning functions. And you're probably pretty familiar with these if you've used like a spreadsheet program, say Excel. So, anyone here use Excel before and use functions in Excel? Very similar concept. Um, so, if you ever use a function in Excel, for example, like SUM, these are not very very different actually from C++ functions, like, with the exception that we'll be making our own. So, C++ also comes with functions, just like Excel comes with functions uh, to do like mathematical um, operations. Like, I don't think there's a sum one, but there's a power one. There's an absolute value one, and these are all in something called the C math libraries. So if you pound include the library C math, you get a whole mess of these guys. <coughs> and I'm sure your book has a listing of them. We'll go over a few of them. And these are called predefined functions. Much like the sum function Excel is a predefined function. So somebody else wrote it. When you bought Excel, right, it came with the sum function. You don't have to write it yourself. In fact, I believe you can write your own functions in Excel using, I think it's VBA or Visual Basic for applications. I, I'm not sure what they use anymore. Anyway, you can write your own functions in Excel. And we'll be writing our own functions in C++. Differently though, so it won't translate. So these are so-called predefined functions. And I'll abbreviate functions quite a bit as FNCS. My pre-calc teacher used to do that quite a bit. So in undergrad, I don't know. I just picked it up. Anyway, so you have a bunch of very useful functions, in particular in the (laughs) the CMath library, that are uh, mathematically oriented. And there are other libraries that have other sorts of functions. Um, For example, there's a CC type, I believe, is another name for it. So, you can pound include C um, CC type. And I think there are functions in here for like formatting and deciding whether or not uh, a particular character variable is a punctuation or if it's an alphanumeric character. Um, so, you don't have to use, like, for example, the ASCII value to determine that or the ASCII table. So, there's a whole mess of these libraries. And I recommend like, sort of like versing yourself in these libraries so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, when you're writing your own programs. So you want to try and avoid rewriting code for yourself, for your own program, that um, a corresponding function in these libraries already implements. So these are called the standard C++ libraries. They're also called the STL or standard template libraries. We'll get to that later in the course. But these are basically code that it's available for everyone to use. So they're part of the standard uh, distribution of C++. If you're using something like micro, Microsoft Visual Studio, there may be other things in there that are not standard with C++. They're just particularly um, available for Microsoft Visual Studio and like .NET technologies. We can't use those in the class. So that has to be in a, in a standard library for C++, which basically means that you can take your source code on different types of machines, like for example, on a Unix machine, on a Windows machine, on a Mac machine, and using that compiler that's particular for that operating system or that architecture, you can compile the same code. And C++ is, is called portable in that sense, that you can take your same source code and compile it in different in different machines or different architectures and get the same program. That's the hope. Actually, it's not true. Uh, but it's pretty close. So, yes? Is it just R compiler that takes that math? Is it math using math.h? There is a set of libraries that have um, .h extensions and that's considered to be deprecated. So that's like the old libraries quote unquote they still work. You can I think there is like a math.h. Uh, but you're encouraged to use these new versions. So if you're familiar with the older ones, um, try to use the newer ones. <coughs> yes. math.h is identical to Is it It's a it something like okay, there you go. So yeah, it's, it's supposedly like a new specification. And by new, I mean, when I was an undergrad taking my first programming course, guess what they told me that, that back then, too? The new specification is to use the non.h libraries. And that was many, many years ago. So by new, I mean, things don't change that drastically, as far as language specifications go. You can sort of think of like how often the English language makes major changes, it's not often, so, or ever. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you're encouraged to use these. Any other questions? No. Okay. Um, so, feel free to look in your book, and also there is a very good website I, I particularly like. It's called cppreference.com um, that has like a long listing, and I have these links up on the course webpage on their programming t- uh, references. it has a long listing of like all the kind of functions there in libraries. However, at this point in the game, um, you're going to have some trouble reading those. Because a lot of them deal with like, pointers and templates, and we haven't got to that yet. So you can try reading them. They'll give you examples. It may be a little cryptic at this point. So probably your book is a better source. And of course, I think the lecture notes also have some examples. We'll do some in class as well. All right, so let's, let's talk about um, some motivation for using functions. And if you've ever used Excel or any kind of um, spreadsheet programs, uh, I think you probably already have a good sense of what the motivation of functions is. So you don't have to like rewrite the code every time if you want to use like uh, a function uh, that's already written right you can put all your, uh, all the sort, you know all the code that sort of corresponds to many different projects into one place and everyone can use them So for example, like finding the sum of a set of numbers is probably a pretty think- common thing so you may want to put that in the library, right which, which are what, what these are. And they're in the form of functions, and um, anyone that wants to use a sum function just, quote-unquote, calls the function. Or another name for that is invoking the function. So, motivation. So, functions in general are a kind of, this is a big word, modularization technique. and C++. So what do I mean by modularization? You may have heard this word somewhere. Uh, it can mean a, a lot of different things to a lot of people. In fact, even the word mod, module, and even in like a common language like C++, means different things to different people. So, so what do I mean? <coughs> so modularization, or functions in general, allow you to capsulize code or encapsulate code Code for three different things. One, reuse. So this just goes what I, what I um, this is corresponds to what I just said about not reinventing the wheel. So if there is a um, a common problem that exists in many different um, applications, like for example, finding the sum of a set of numbers, probably something that a lot of different applications from a lot of different domains do. And I'm sure you can find lots of different worksheets in Excel all across the, the, the world in time since Excel started uh, that sum a set of numbers. So this is a very common thing. So we like to reuse this code, right? this functionality, across different projects, different applications, different spreadsheets. Um, so it reuses like a buzzword that corresponds to this. So we can write once and then use it many times. Very good. Okay, but that's not always easy. Because you need, when you write functions, when you make your own functions, you sort of have to anticipate how your functions are going to be used. What are the inputs to my function? What are the outputs to my function? Because your function will probably be used in different sorts of like contexts and domains. So it's not always easy to achieve reuse, but we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Another common motivation for functions is something called abstraction. So you have a very difficult problem at hand. And perhaps you're not really uh, entirely sure how to go about solving it directly. Uh, functions are a great way to abstract away details of the complexity of your problem. So you can think of functions as sort of being like a black box. And you'll hear this term a lot in this class. And this is not true of all functions, especially when we get the void functions, which are non value returning. But for value returning, and by the way, in C++, you can mix those. You can have void functions that return values in other ways. We'll do that, too. Uh, you can think of a function in a black box. So maybe you're, not, you know, you're writing your palindrome homework, and you're, you're totally you know, bummed out about this palindrome problem. You can't figure it out. I don't know how to find out if a, a sequence of integers is a palindrome or not. I do, however, know how to ask the user for a set of numbers, capture them in an array, and then print out whether the, palind- it, the, the array is a palindrome or not. So what you can do is say, okay, well, I'm going to make a black box, and I'm going to call it, um, is it a palindrome? That's the name of my black box. What I'm going to do is send it two things. I'm going to send it my array. and I'll symbolize the array using the square brackets, which are empty. And I wanted to say whether or not the integers in this array are indeed a palindrome, or they make up a palindrome. So what kind of value would you think this function or this black box returns? Boolean, Boolean, yeah. True or false, right? Yes or no? So you have a set of inputs, and you have a desired output. And in fact, just like the math world and C++, functions can only have one output. You can have multiple inputs. In fact, we should have one more input here. Does anyone see it? What should we also input into this black box? Which, by the way, is going to be a function? Yes? Exactly, right. Why is that? Yeah, Anytime you work with arrays in C++, you always need the size. You sort of have to carry one o- along with the other for the ride. Good. So here is a black box um, that has two inputs and one output. And in fact, you can make your own function called, is it a palindrome?" or is it a palindrome? And you could utilize that in like multiple applications that may need to do that, or may need to decide that. And at the same time, you can't abstract away the complexity of weather, um, of actually filling in the details of this box. <laughs> so I like to say if you lift up the black cover of this box and maybe now it's transparent, you would see a whole bunch of gears which look mysteriously like flowers on the board. And, you know, these things churn and whatnot. And, but you don't see that complexity, right? All you see is just, you know, a cover. Um, so you can go about doing other things that maybe you are, you know, you do know how to do, or you can come back and do this later. And this is also called like a top-down approach to um, the problem solving. In fact, uh, you can write the code that invokes this function or calls this function without even writing the function, and the fact, that you can even compile. When you run it, though, m- not much will happen. Uh, but you can write like sort of like a skeleton that defines the inputs and outputs, but not really like how one is mapped to the other. It's very powerful, actually. That's called like, top-down um, problem solving. All right. Lastly, functions are great for testing, or so-called unit testing. Uh, there's actually two different kinds of testing. One is called unit testing. The other one is called system integration testing. Um, Unit testing is verifying or validating that a particular function works um, as it should, given like you know particular uh, inputs and particular in, and you know retrieves the right output. Um, system system integration testing is actually running the whole thing and making sure all these functions sort of like communicate with each other correctly. So, as you probably can guess, one function can call another function. That function can call another function. And so on and so forth, and then that would like you sort of like compose your system out of a set of functions which call each other. And you could think of like the main function, which is the one that we've been writing so far, as sort of being like the conductor of the orchestra, just like you know, telling which function um, to invoke, right, or to call, and um, you know, retrieving the result, sending that result to another function, and sort of just conducting like your application. Anyway, so you write, let's say you write this whole palindrome program. Um, you stayed up all night last night. And you wrote one function, which is the main function, by the way, which is the one we've been writing so far. And the whole thing doesn't work. And you don't know where to start. You don't, the answer is wrong. It compiles fine, but you can't get the right answer. It's a semantic error somewhere in there. Um, and you go nuts trying to debug it. So one thing you can do if you had written your palindrome logic in a function you can test the palindrome logic all by itself, uh, isolated from the rest of the application. So you can set it a bunch of test cases, right? You can set it different like arrays, right? Of integers. Maybe some arrays uh, are actually palindromes, others are not, and then you see what the result is. So it's a, sort of like, like sort of like a very small testing. So you don't test the entire application, but just a very small part of it. And functions are great for defining boundaries that make testing easy. So when you're, when you're building more complicated applications and you sort of like compose these functions together and fit one inside the other, um, and you're building them from the ground up or a bottom-up approach, you can be assured that you know, the smaller pieces in which your infrastructure is built out of uh, work correctly. It's, it's quite assuring. Unfortunately, this course, we don't get to like, these really big, complex applications because we only have 10 weeks. Um, so some students i found over the years... Have trouble like, identifying with the motivation of functions. I totally see why, because a lot of the things we do are sort of like small problems, you know, or, or um, abstractions of the real world. Uh, it's going to be hard to, to see the motiva- motivation of functions all the time. So for example, if we wrote a function called average, right, which takes in a set of integer, uh, an array of integers and a number of valid integers in that array, and outputs, let's say, a double, right as the average. And you only call this this function from one place in your program. So what's the point of writing the function, right? I could have just wrote the code right there. It's like two lines, right? Um, So in that sense, you know, you don't get a lot of motivation from using functions. But you can imagine that you sold, you know, your uh, your average function to the two hundred two class and for five bucks, and you made like you know a lot of money. So that would be motivation. So I don't know. Okay. All right, so let's take a look at some predefined functions, um, two which are in the math library. Uh, One is called pal. Another one is called abs. And if you look at, for example, pal, which is the power function, if you look at it as a black box, uh, there's a couple different components to functions. One is its name. So every function has a unique name, hopefully. So this function is called pow. It's in the CC, uh, excuse me, the CMF library, and it has this name. It has a number of inputs, or zero to in many inputs, as I like to say. And for value returning functions, you'll always have one output. Um, for void functions, however, it could be like zero to one. So, um, but for value returning functions, we'll have zero to many. Inputs and only one output. Uh, it may not be clear what a zero-ary function will be good for. Um, so if you have a function that has no inputs and, and one output, for example, um, these things do actually exist like in set theory, things like that. So. Um, but that won't be clear from, from our context. But um, we'll get to that. Okay. So the inputs to pal happen to be what? Did anyone want to take a guess? what would you think you can send a power function? Yeah, a base and exponent. Good. It's not the convention to write um, like sort of like a name for the input so you can name your inputs and its type. So what would the type of a base and exponent be? What would you think? In C++ terms. Yeah, double So we write double base and double exponent. So if I'm teaching how to use this function, well I say, well, that takes two inputs. The first one's the base, which happens to be a double value. And the second one's the exponent, which also happens to be a double value. In return from calling the function, you get, what would you think? What type? Yeah, another double. And by common convention, it's not difficult to like sort of name the output because there's only one. So, so there you say the return value is of type double. All right, so how would you go about using the pow function in your code? Uh, so one thing you want to do first is include cmath. And by the way, we'll hopefully get to the point where we write our own libraries, uh, but we'll have a collection of functions in those, and you'll include those as well in your programs. Alright, maybe you'll include Iostream uh, using namespace standard, and you have a main function. Okay, so one example of calling this function would be as follows. So the first thing you want to do before uh, the call a function is provide its name. So the name is POW, and again, this works like an Excel, except that there's no um, equal sign before the function name. And just like in Excel, you have open and closed parenthesis. and in those you pass something called arguments. And in fact, the power, the power function or POW function takes so-called two arguments, and they're both doubles. So it takes a base as the first argument. And it takes um, the exponent as a sec- second argument. So what you send to the function is called arguments. I like to abbreviate these as arg, arg, args, args, <coughs> arguments. So those would be the arguments to the function. So for example, maybe you send it to um, integer literals, which is okay, right, because it takes type double, but integers can be implicitly converted or coerced to uh, double values. Alright, maybe you want to do something with the value return. So the way function works is that they have a valuation as well. Uh, Their evaluation of a function uh, invocation expression is the return value. So this function evaluates to um, whatever the function returns given your, your arguments or um, inputs. So those are the arguments. These are the return. Or this is the return value. All right, well, there's a number of things you can do with this, uh, with the return, so-called return value. One thing you may want to do is print it to the screen. So maybe you want to put it in the out statement. For example, um, you can store it in a variable. Which would have to be type double because it needs to match the return type. Um, double uh, my p is a sign how of do know two, two. And then this would print what? Right? Eight, yep. Print 8. And if I outputted my p, what would that print? Four, right? Okay. So you can either, um, you know, output the, the return value functions. You can you can capture them in, in variables. You can do, you can send the output of one function to another function. Um, so-called nested functions. So for example. We could write something like, um, Pow of Pow of two, two and two. Yeah. And what would that print? Yeah, sixteen. Um, the arguments? can you say integer? Well, what happens there, it's called an implicit conversion. So remember, we went through this, uh, the conversion of different types. So we said that it's okay for an integer value to be stored in the double variable because integers are four bytes and doubles right. are eight bytes. So that's why we go through a jargon about, like, how big, you know, different types are. So. Okay. But, I mean, if you put integer, integer might be, would it still work? If you place, like, like a static attribute? To convert it to integer? Yeah, I mean, well, it's already integer, right? Okay. Yeah, so there's an implicit conversion from integer to double. Um, and in fact, if you're the designer of this pow function, let's say you're the designer working on the CMath library, for example, um, you pick double just for um, flexibility. And so that you could have like a pow function that explicitly takes integers, but it wouldn't be very useful. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be useful, just not a lot of time. Right. <laughs> So so when you declare that you have a double input, for example, you can put any arbitrary expression that evaluates to a double there. And if it doesn't evaluate to a double, um, it can be implicitly or explicitly converted. So here we have implicit conversion between integer and doubles. Um, How would you do an explicit conversion? What construct would you use? It starts with an S. It has a C in it as well. Static casts. You remember that one, right? The explicit conversions. So, okay. Um, how about absolute value? So, absolute value is an example of a function with a, or uh, it's a unary function or a one arity function. So, it has one input and one output. It's called ABS, so um, I believe the input type is double as well, to make it a little more useful. Uh, let's call it num for number, and its output type will also, will also be a double. Okay, and they call that one, Let's see. We can do, for example, uh, <coughs> double d. And by the way, name your variables much better than I do on the board because I'm just running out of space here. Uh, maybe we grab d from the user. Maybe we prompt user to enter a value. And then maybe we output um, d insert as an absolute value is, and then let's have the function call. In fact, let's do it right inside the cout statement. abs of what? Yeah, so d would be your argument. Is that good? Is there an absolute value function in Excel? I think there is, right? Should be, right? Cool. Some other ones in cc type are 2 upper. Which takes a character, um, whatever case it may be, and convert, converts it to an uppercase character. There is a boolean function called isDigit that returns true. It's a boolean uh, value returning function that, if the um, character is is in fact, an, excuse me, a numeric character, and false otherwise. All right, so that's using functions. So um, in this class, though, our focus is really going to be on defining functions. So yeah, you're going to be using functions from different libraries. And when you're writing your own functions, you may actually use functions from different libraries as well. We'll write our own libraries. But let's take a look at how you would go about writing these functions. Are there any questions so far? Yes. No I uh, do you have to use flags for oh, um yeah probably. Yeah. Is there the integer one is um all right, let's make an integer. So the integer one is just ABS I believe, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's two separate ones. So F A B S b s six bet um is the one corresponding to double, right? <laughs> Okay, I knew there was something funny about that. Um, let's make that an intro. What you guys expect? Like the code I wrote on a board to compile? <laughs> all right. Uh, so, how would you go about writing abs? So let's say. All right. I just went through this whole spiel how you shouldn't reinvent the wheel and. Instead of writing your own functions or own code to do things, you should look at the libraries first to see if there's anything there you can either utilize or you know, use in place of. Uh, so I'm totally going to break that right now. And I'm going to ask the question, well, how would you if you wanted to code your own ABS, let's say you're really stubborn and you're like, ah, heck with the, uh, the C math library, I'm going to write my own math functions uh, because I have nothing else better to do on a Friday night, for example... So I'm going to make a function called my abs because I'm fantastic. So let's say you said that. So let's say the function is called my abs and it's going to have the same inputs output and outputs. So it takes in an integer and returns the absolute value of the integer. Uh, oh, by the way, the absolute value is just um, the value without a negative sign. Um, so for example, if you input, let's say you input negative five here. What would the output here be here? Yeah, so negative five as an absolute value would be um, just five. If you're not familiar with absolute value, okay. So it's a pretty simple function. So it just loses the um, the negative sign if there is one; otherwise, it's the same value. All right. So, in making your own functions, there's two different uh, things you need to worry about. We'll talk about that. So, let's go for this So, defining value returning functions Making your own functions, which, by the way, is what the midterm is going to consist of. I'm probably going to ask you to write three functions. And Functions. Another thing good about functions is is that you can really scope the problem. So if I say, all right, given these um, three inputs, you know, how would you get this output? So you have to worry about like you know using C in and C out. So they're great for exams. Uh, I should also note that a lot of these functions won't have like um, C in or C out statements. So, one thing we've been doing with the main function, and this is really important actually, is that we have a lot of the output and input statements from the user. And the main function sort of like coordinates with the user a lot. And you'll see that in a lot of projects we do. <laughs> However, um, would you expect the ABS function to have like an input statement, like a C in or a C out, when you use it like this? No, no it would be really bad, right? I mean, it could be some like, you know, I don't know, really bad message at outputs or something, yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, you send it to your customer, and it's like, oh, what is this? You know, I want my money back. Um, Right, so there wouldn't be any inputs or outputs here. So inputs uh, and outputs of functions are sort of like programmatic. Um, You always have the case where one function uses another function. So, for example, this is in the main function, let's say. It doesn't have to be because now we know how to write our own functions. Uh, We'll get in there anyway. Um, So here you have the main function calling the abs function. So a lot of times functions are sort of like programmatic interfaces to other programs. So the main function uses the abs function, and um, it doesn't. abs doesn't uh, use cin or cout. It just you know, has an argument and it has a return value. That's really like a difficult um, concept to grasp at first. I think a lot of students have problems with that, uh, especially in the midterm where I see a lot of like input and output statements for like for inputs you already receive. So for example, like here I'm saying an abs takes. As an argument, a number, right, which is an integer. And when I ask someone to write abs, for example, they may have like, "See out, enter a number, C in, extract number." You know, and you would already already have it. So that that's a common mistake I see. Um, so it's all about defining bounds around your code. Okay, so how would you go about this? Defining a value return, uh, returning function. There's two different steps. In fact, it's really coincides with non-value returning functions as well. The two parts are as follows. Function declaration and function definition. And oh, by the way, it sort of sounds like variables, right? We declare variables. For example, we'll say, you know, integer um, array AR, right? Or we'll say um, char ch for a character. So in that sense, you declare a variable, right? you give it a type, and you give it a name. Uh, Functions are similar in that you give functions names. You give them return types, but you also give them something called parameter types or parameters. So as I mentioned before, arguments are what you send to the function. They're the actual values that when the function is used, is sent into the function. Uh, which may or may not be used to produce the output. Parameters, however, are sort of like on the inside of the function. So this is called a parameter, and I'll abbreviate that P-A-R-A-M quite often. And parameters are mechanisms for the definition of functions to refer to the arguments. So they refer to the arguments abstractly because when you're writing a function, you don't actually know where it's going to be used or how it's going to be used. Um, You know that there's one input. So you can think of like one person's out here, and their point of view, they're sending arguments. In fact, there could be many people out here right, using this abs function. And there's one lonely guy in here. Sitting on a chair it reminds me of the guy in uh, Fenway Park that that does the, the scoreboard. In fact, I think there's two people in Fenway Park in Boston that do the scoreboards. Is anyone familiar with Fenway Park in Boston? Yeah, they, they have, there's I think they're the only park in the nation that still has manual scoreboards. So I th- sort of think of like you know the guy sitting on a chair. Although he you, you know he or she gets to watch the game for free, but uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, so there's let's say there's one person in there. And, um, you know, they, only, they can't see outside the box. They only can see, like, there's one slot here. And all I see is stuff coming out uh, inside, rather. rather all the arguments. And they refer to those arguments as a parameter. So it's sort of like the, one, the name of the slot that this guy can see. So to this guy, this is a parameter. To, this, to these people, these are arguments. Um, So here, D is an argument to this function. And when we declare a function, we need to declare its parameters. Um, These are are the values that the definition will use. This is also like the interface. How do you use my function? What are its inputs? What are the output? What is the output, I should say? What are the inputs? What is the output? And in fact, when I draw these boxes, they're pretty... Actually, r- real representations of what the interface is. I'll show you the C++ version, but diagrammatically, I mean, it's really it's all there is to it. Uh, you, you say what the function's called, number and types of arguments, what the type of the return is, and you may want to have some like textual description of what actually it does. Okay, so that's the declaration. Just like here, I declared a variable called myP, I declared um, it as type double, so here is a variable declaration. Where is the definition of this variable? So here's an analogous situation. What am I defining the value of this variable to be? The, return, the same as the type of the return value. Right. Are, actually, right, it's going to be 4 in this case. Oh. oh okay. Right? Yeah, so I'm just defining the value of my p to be 4 which happens to be the return type of pow of two, 2 and 2. So here's the correlation, and I'll abbreviate that d-e-c-l, and here's the definition. In fact, I do this in one shot. You can, you can split them up. We'll do that with functions. We'll always split them up, by the way. Uh, you can define and declare a function at the same time, just like you can do that with variables, declare and define. Um, but we'll do them separately for for a good reasons. All right, so um, the definition is, that corresponds rather, what the function, how the function does what it does. So this is like what it does. without delving into the details of how it does it. And the definition corresponds to how, in fact, it does does what it does. So everyone hear about the five-hour energy drink on TV? Those commercials, right? I personally prefer coffee. Anyway, um, so five-hour energy, right? Guy comes on. He's like, oh, this is a great drink. It wakes you up for five hours, right? He doesn't really say much about what actually goes into that drink. In fact, I don't even know what's in there. They don't say anything, right? So if we went to their lab and we spoke to their so-called scientists, we would have a definition of the drink. So sort of like the ad is a declaration. Hey, it's a great drink. It gives you five hours, so that's like what it does. But if you went to the lab um, and saw everyone mixing stuff together and they gave you the details of actually what's in the drink, then you know they would say that's how it, how it does it. So that would be like definition of the five-hour energy. Hopefully that's a good example. All right. So um, let's start off with the decorations. Those are pretty easy since we've already um, sort of walked through them. <laughs> All right, um, what I usually do is declare functions before the main function. It's always a bad idea, though. I always like to put them in different files. Um, but I guess we'll do that when we get the library definitions. All right, so for, um, for right now, I guess we'll write functions in the same file. Uh, but you can imagine with with, with library function libraries like um, cmath and um, cctype and even iostream, these things are different files, right? They're different files from what we've been writing, writing so far. Uh, however, just to go over this, you know, the syntactic rules and the semantic rules of uh, function definitions and declarations let's put it all in the same file for now. So the program with a function uh, defini- definition is going to look something like this. So it's going to be you know, your usual... Um, library includes up here. Maybe we'll use like math or something. All right, followed by using namespace standard. All right, followed by um, your function information <coughs> So you may have a number of functions in your program. So after use, using the namespace standard, we'll have the declarations of functions. Um, this is, in fact, not required to do it this way. Uh, but we'll do it as like sort of like a template, quote unquote, uh, for the time being. All right, so in declaring a function, uh, the first thing we need to do is write its name. So we'll call this one myABS. So that's one part. The other part is its inputs. Um, so the way we specify the inputs or the parameters to, to a uh, function are as follows. So we have open um, left paren followed by the type and names of the um, parameters. In fact, all that's required is actually the type, the parameter, uh, that's all you really need. However, it's really good—a good convention to um, put the names in there as well. It doesn't hurt, so we'll do that. We'll call it So this one has one parameter. So we list it as uh, its type and its number. Excuse me, its type and its name. If you were doing like my pal, for example, with one with two parameters, you would uh, separate those by a comma. So it actually looks a lot like a <coughs> function call which is what this is. So this is a function call, or sometimes it's also called a function invocation. Either one is fine. I'll abbreviate invocation as inv. And here's a function declaration. And after this, we'll have the function definition. So there's really three parts to functions. There's invocations, there's declarations, and there's definitions. And they're really easy to get confused because they really look similar. In fact, declaration of the function really looks similar to the invocation. What's one difference? How do you know this is an invocation and this is a declaration? Even though we're not finished with it yet. Any ideas? A type. Oh yes. Uh, got the data type. Right. That's how, that's the only way you know. Data type. Right. The invocation has the actual just the argument, right? Um, and by the way, a good a good way to remember arguments and is to think like actual. Like sometimes they're called actual parameters. Um, right, so this doesn't have a data type or a return type, which I'll get into next, and this one does. Alright, next thing you do is list its return type, and this one returns int. And let's pretend we'll do a YPAL. We won't actually implement it, um, or define it, rather. But suppose we did that. We would perhaps maybe have a declaration like this. Uh, base and X money. And this one returns. So the return type is here. So this returns. Here. All right. So these are now parameters. And this is called the return type. And this is the function name. And there's one last thing about function declarations, and this is also another confusing matter. Uh, they're followed by delimiters, namely semicolons. And by the way, declarations are also called prototypes. To confuse you further. I didn't do it, I swear. Um, so yeah, I will use decrelation and function prototype probably interchangeably. Your book will probably do so as well. Does anyone know what they call them in the book? Everyone should know, right? Because everyone's just done the reading before class, right? Did they call them decorations or prototypes? All right, never mind. Um, <laughs> should I make that an extra credit question? <laughs> anyway, I'll interchange between those two. Um, Definitions are also called implementations. So you have all these crazy terms, implementation, invocations, prototypes, definitions, declarations, and I'll probably slip up and use different different words for the same thing. I apologize ahead of time. Okay. So after this, um, we have our main function. So that's the usual part. Oh, by the way, guess what? Main is a function. We've been calling it the main function all along. In fact, this is a, this is the main function definition. So you've been, in fact, writing definitions of functions since uh, day one. So you guys should be first at this. In fact, uh, main doesn't need to be declared because main is a special function. Uh, that everyone knows what, what the um, the declaration of main is. So it's a special function that gets invoked first, or called first by the operating system. So main is the first function to start. If any other functions are going to execute, I'll add that to the list. Function call, ah, function invocation. Uh, function execute is sort of a subtle reference execution. Anyway. If any other function is going to be invoked, it's going to be through me. So the only way another function gets gets executed is through me. Calling it. You can sort of think of calling as like picking up a phone and you know, go to work or something. Uh, or uh, what is it, the phone a friend on that, that TV show? Yeah, the millionaire TV. You're right. So you first I guess that's why they call it call. Phoning a friend. Uh, okay. So you can think of it that way though. All right. So how do you de- how do you define functions? I'll here. All right. So our function definitions will follow main, the main definition. And by the way, don't get don't fall in love with this because we're going to change it shortly. Uh, we're going to start splitting stuff into multiple files and performing something called separate compilation. But just for this class, or at least Over the weekend, this is what the template's gonna look like. Or the Mm -hmm. guideline, I should say. So after main, uh, let me erase this too. So let's say I'm continuing on this board from the previous, excuse me, previous board. So (laughs) main ends up here. Then we'll have our function definitions. By the way, um, you can declare functions without defining them, which is great for abstraction, which is the second motivation I listed for functions in the first place. Um, you can declare the function before mean and specify the uh, numbers and types of arguments, or parameters rather, and its return type, and use it mean. You actually can call these things in mean without actually defining them. And by the way, we're going to be defi- when we do define functions, uh, that will be after me. It's important that you declare functions before mean, since G, uh, G++ is a single pass compiler. Um, so it does something called type checking, and it makes sure, and it, um, it verifies rather, that you're calling the you know the right function, right? Matches up the name of the function, matches up the types and parameters, and return types, and all that stuff. It's called type checking. Anyway, so. G++ needs to know about how functions are declared or uh, their interface. All right. So what I was saying is that you can actually declare functions, call them, uh, but never define them. See, and you can compile that as well. Um, Your program won't do much. It's sort of like analogous to declaring a variable, never defining it. I don't know but using it somehow. That probably would be that. Anyway, you can do that if you're abstracting like a large problem. So if you're going to be making your palindrome homework, for example, and you wanted to write the uh, is it palindrome function, um, you can just declare it, call it from main, pretend like it was defined, but it's not really. So your function just won't, your uh, your program won't do much. But you can go back and fill in um, the palindrome function, for example. All right. So when it's time to fill in your functions, uh, you can do so after main. And the way you do so is as follows. So we'll adopt the convention that you copy and paste the function declaration. Almost, I'll show you what I mean. So let's say we're going to be defining or implementing the uh, myABS function. So it's just a simple copy and paste job, int myABS. You can actually use the copy and paste functionality of your editor to do this. And this is one of the reasons I like to put um, the names of the parameters along with their types, even though that's not required. So simple copy and paste job, except for one thing. You leave off the delimiter. So the difference syntactically between a function declaration and a function definition is that the delimiter is not there. Instead, you have a compound statement. Gwiz, whiz, what does that look like? Starts with an M. The main function, right. It looks exactly like the main function, except that it has a different name. uh, It has a different um, parameter. In fact, main has no parameters in this example. So here's a function with no inputs. Um, That's kind of a lie. You actually can't have inputs to main. Anyone know what that's called when you have inputs to main or parameters to main? Who calls main? Operating system, right? So main is a special function that executes first in your program. When you invoke the program, right, when you type in a.out, for example, um, on the prompt, or if you press the play button in your IDE, IDE stands for Integrated Development Environment, uh, the first function get, that executes or gets called is main. And if you had parameters um, to main, right, inputs to main, those would be provided by the operating system. Anyone do this in VI? I know everyone's done this, right? These are just called um, command line arguments. And it's not just a Unix thing. Windows has it, too. Um, command line... I guess I'm, a little bit, I'm off on a tangent here, but... Command line arguments... And in fact, there is another declaration of main that corresponds to exposing these command line arguments in your program. So when you, call, when you invoke the VI program or the G++ program on the terminal, you can optionally, at least in VI's case, you can send it the file name it wants to open, or you can send it the file name that you want to compile. And this information is sent into the main program. And maybe we'll get the pointers to talk about command line arguments. So. Uh, because they are, they look a little funny right now. Anyway, uh, main does have optional uh, parameters, so but the default uh, version of main is is no parameters. All right. Anyway, so let's define my abs. So instead of a uh, semicolon, it's going to have a compound statement, and in here goes the code to execute when my abs is called. Just like when you're writing when you're writing main. In this compound statement, you write the code that gets executed when you invoke your program, right, when you start your program. Same thing. Code to execute when called. And another thing to note here is that this whole notion of scope is also in play. So, remember, we had this whole um, discussion about scope of variables and scope of compound statements and blocks. Same thing goes here. So, when we have multiple functions now, um, any variable you declare in main will not be visible to myABS. The only way main can communicate with my abs or any other function is through argument sending and parameter passing. So, it has to call it via sending an argument to the function. This is where the nasty global variables come into play. So no global variables. So you can, in fact, declare, unfortunately, a variable out here in space, I like to call it. And both functions can refer to the same variable uh, because it's in the outer scope. Very bad, very bad. So you want to define these boundaries very explicitly. So no global variables. If you don't know what that is, excellent. Um, I do allow global constants. You can declare a constant outside of any function. Um, that's presumably OK. It's not a great thing to do, because we're going to be splitting these up in different files. So that may pose a problem. Um, you can, I would say, st- if you can, stick to making constants inside the, the bodies of the functions instead of the outside. Whew. All right, too much talking. OK, so this is going to look a lot like me like the code that we've written for me. Um, there's not going to be much of a difference, except that we have now this parameter that we can refer to. So this is sort of like the guy in Fenway looking through the slot uh, where the scorecards are. So you refer to any <laughs> incoming argument through its parameter. It's sort of like the name of the slot, because you can have multiple ones, as in the case of pal. And your job, if you choose to take it, as my ABS is to take this argument, right, the value of this parameter, and based on that, return an answer in the form of an integer. Guess what keyword do you use to return an answer? Yeah, return. We've been using that all along. Like return 0. And 0, what's, what's the type of 0? starts so an i. Integer, right? And guess what our return type is? And What a coincidence. So make sure, this is sort of like an assignment, you have to make sure these two match. And it goes actually to say that you can have multiple return statements. Um, a return statement will, will end your function. So so far we've been having, most of the time, uh, return zero as, as the last statement of our, our main function. You can actually have multiple returns. Uh, maybe they're a part of an if condition, right? Maybe they're the, they're the then statement of an if statement. And you must return the type, right? The corresponding value that corresponds to the type, uh, the return type of the function. All right. So how do we go about implementing my abs? Any volunteers? Some tired of talking. Can you use the math function. Yeah. Let's not use the math function. Yeah. No, no. I mean, like a different math function, like, like power. Oh, yeah. You could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how you go about doing that. Um, but let's, yeah, let's just not write any functions. Okay. Uh, right now. Do um, you want to give it a shot? Without doing it? Yeah. Yeah. OK. So you could, uh, you could check if, if num is uh, less than 1, or it is less than 0. OK. So if num is less than 0. Mm-hmm. OK. What do you want to do in that case? Then uh, return negative 1 times num. You can, you can, yeah, you can just leave it off. Yeah. Even even else. Right. in uh, fact this is optional, and the reason it's optional is because of what I just said—that anytime you have a return statement that ends the program—so you can actually leave off the else clause here, and it'll be fine, because uh, if this condition is true, then you'll end the function. But this is either way is fine. So good, thanks. Um, so if the number is negative, uh, we in fact multiply it by negative one to remove the negative sign and return the substitution of that expression or the evaluation of that expression. Otherwise, we just return the negative, the, the original number. And now you can call this thing from you know as many times as you want, different places. Any questions on that? And any other, like for example, my pal would follow this one. Um, You don't have to be in any explicit order, really. Uh, Any questions? Yes? What if the function never gets so, like, a return that you do? Yeah, what if you, so the question is what if you leave out the return statement? Uh, Unfortunately, with C++, in particular the G++ compiler, A-OK. Yeah, it compiles perfectly. Uh, When you run it, guess what happens? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing happens, yeah. Um, You would get garbage values, actually. So uh, you would get some undefined value memory. So yeah, make sure you return at each control flow, where any point where your, your program can end, that you're returning something. So, no matter what what the control flow is of of your uh, function definition, make sure that it always ends in the return. It's very important. Thank you. All right. Any other questions? No? All right, so let's say we make this my ABS as we did. And the students from 202 don't know about the ABS library. Oh, in fact, um, before I get to that, how would you write this using the library and be really devious like that? What could you actually write here instead? Someone else? So if we wanted to use a CMath library, let's say I included it here. name of the absolute value function in the cmath library is called abs. So if I want to really be devious here, um, what can I write there? Yes? abs. Yep. Just one. one line. So there's an example of one function using another function using another function. Um, so for example, main calls ABS or my ABS my ABS calls ABS and then so on and so forth. Okay, uh, so one last thing I want to talk about if there's no other fu- no other no other functions, no other questions. No okay. Um, Oh, so I was saying that if your buddies in uh, CSE two hundred two, um, they're they're just learning about functions, let's say, and they don't know that abs exists in the in the, um, in the CMath library, and they'll pay you five bucks for one because their homework really depends on absolute values or something. I don't know. Um, so how would you go about selling them the abs, <laughs> the abs function, the my abs? Well, first off, you don't want to tell them there, there is one in C math, right? So we want to make believe that you know this is like um, a really really nice function that doesn't exist anywhere else. It wouldn't be clear, right, right now, because we have in one file uh, basically we have our function declarations, uh, our main function definition, followed by our our um, function definitions, right? So, when you compile this, right, when you say G, let's say um, you named it myfile.cc, you'd produce, if it all goes well, you would produce a file called a.out. And of course, you can rename that to whatever you like uh, via the move command, or you can, there's a, a flag called dash O, I believe that, is it dash O, dash C? Dash O, yeah, dash O, yeah, that renames the file. So, would you send them this a.out file? Really easy. um they wouldn't be able to look at this very easily because if you if you open this file let's say you um it said dot out what would you see a whole bunch of crazy stuff yeah it's going be its object code so it's not human readable uh, there are these things called decompilers has anyone heard of these things that will take like a binary file like a dot out and convert it back to source code they, they, they work on very varying degrees of accuracy. They're called decompilers. Um, anyway yeah um, so sending them the AI out file is not going to be very good. they can't look at the source code so we're not sending the by file as you that would be bad. We want to keep that because they want, we don't want them to redistribute stuff on from like naturally um, so so sending the AIDL out file is not very good because what, what is a program it's an executable program right that basically prints out files. So they want, they want to call this my function from their own programs. So that's not going to be possible the way it is right now. So for this purpose, you can make a program that's not executable. In fact, what programs have we seen that are really not executable? It starts with an L. I, B. Libraries. Yeah, libraries. So these are programs or functions uh, that exist... In a common place for all of us to use, that are aren't executable, right? We don't, we can't like run the CMath program. There isn't. Uh, we can't run the PAL program. There isn't that, right? These are these are libraries of functions that everyone can use from their own programs. So, what if we want to make our own library, my math library? Uh, how do we go about doing that? So this is called um, multiple file compilation or separate compilation. So basically, what you can do to the to people at 202 is send them an object code file, much like a.out, except it doesn't have a main net, it doesn't have a main function rather. So this is called separate compilation, and this is why I said do not fall in love with this beautiful template we made on the board here, because we're going to destroy it. So, this allows you to compile code without a main function, i.e., make your own libraries. And in this example, since we only have a couple of minutes, our library is not going to be very featured. It's going to have one function in it. Um, the way you do it is follows. Um, you're going to have two files. The first one is called the header file. In the header file, we store all function declarations of the library. So for example, So let's say we're fancy we had, I guess we would have two. Um, Pretend that we made them right now. So this would be in the header file. Um, The header file is like a .cc or .cpp file. Uh, One difference is that it has a .h extension. So it ends in .h. So for example, Let's call it uh, mylib.h. If you use VI or if you use Emacs or whatever, or Notepad or C dev, if you open up mylib.h, all you would see is these two lines. That's it. So in this file, in plain text, uh, will be the function declarations only. <laughs> OK, next file. Here. This is called the implementation file. Guess what goes in the implementation file? Implementations or definitions. Store only function, definitions, or implementations, whatever you want to call them. Um, so in this file, you would see this. And you'd see the one from MyPap, which we have in wrote. Um, this can have a .cc or a .c, um, .cpp extension. Okay, so you split up the declarations and the definitions. Declarations go in a .h file, mylib.h. Um, implementations go in, or definitions go in the implementation file, which has a .cc or .cpp extension. So for example, and it doesn't have to be the same name, um, but let's do that just just for uh, conciseness. And we'll call it mylib.cc. In fact, you could have multiple definitions for um, the same headers, the same header file. So for the, the same declarations, we could have multiple definitions, and this happens a lot when you talk about containers. When we get to that, um, so some like containers or some like components like uh, will be standard for a lot of people to use, but you can like purchase or download or use different implementations of the same components, and one might be like faster in some certain cases, or one might be. Uh, faster in other cases, etc. But in this example, this is just a small example, we're, we'll only have um, one implementation file. Okay, so the next step is to link these two together, and you can use G++ to do that. Command is as follows. G++-C, um, so that's a minus sign followed by a C, and followed by this, oh, I forgot one thing, I'm sorry. Um, all right, let me do this. Right, this will be mylib.cc. One thing I forgot to mention is, though, um, you don't specify the mylib.h file in the command line. Uh, one thing you have to do here is pound include the header file. But it looks a little different. Um, for non-standard libraries, so for our own libraries, we um, specify the header file in double quotes. This is not part of C++. This is a pre-compiler directive. And here we would say mylib.h. So that would be like the first line of our implementation file. It'd be pound include, uh, quote, mylib.h, end quote. Then you have the definitions. And that's all in this mylib.cc file. All right, if all goes well... You produce an object code file, which is like out, except it doesn't have a main function. And it's going to be called mylib.o. O stands for object code. You can't read it. It's like an .app file, except that there's no main function. And finally, to send your buddies in 202, uh, the myabs. Function, you give them two files. You give them the header file, so mylib.h, and you don't give them the mylibcc, right, because it has your code in it. Instead, you get you give them the mylib.o file. And together, with their forces combined, constitute a library. So the two components of a library are its definition and its implementation. In fact, for IOStream and CMath, there are also corresponding files and standard locations um, on Sun for each of these libraries, and finally for csc202, which is um, the prerequisite course of this class, you'd instruct them to do this fault. Same thing, pound include mylib dot h and then followed by the main program, the main function. And now they can use my ABS. And let's call this file um 202.cc. And one last thing you need to instruct the two guys in 202, and you guys should like share the profit with me by the way, if you need it. Since your library is not a standard location like cmath and Iostream, you need to specify um, the object code file on the command line. So the compiled 202.cc would be g TO2.cc, which is what we have normally, but then followed by mylib.o. And oh, by the way, you'd have to have the mylib.h in the same directory. This is all in the same directory. Whew, okay, it's a lot of work to do this. Unfortunately, there's a program, a really great program called Make, which does all this for you as long as you specify a make file. And we'll use that for our projects. Uh, but if you need to know how to do this by hand, this is the way to do it. So we'll be doing this from now on, um, specifying uh, all the declarations in the header file, all the implementations in the implementation file, and so on and so forth. Okay, uh, see you guys on uh, Tuesday.